Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. It's Questions Day, Kieran. Shall I t- I'll tell you what, I'm, g- I'm going to start with a question to you, just to reassure our listeners that your life isn't 100% whirlwind of glamour. Where are you just at the moment, Kieran? Just on, and let me remind people, this is a Sunday morning. Where are you, Kieran? While the rest of us are getting ready for Christmas, opening our advent calendar doors, wrapping our presents. <laughs> I'm in the Stockport Travel Lodge, <laughs> and they've upgraded me. They've upgraded me to a room with a window, <laughs> and I'm overlooking the uh, Stockport bus station as as we speak, living the dream. I've, I, I've stayed in travel lodges, Kieran. Up, I was going to say, how can I upgrade you? But it's, you can't get any further down. So yeah, any, <laughs> the fact you're being up, upgraded in the travel lodge, we're going to. He's such a regular customer. Upgrade him to the bus stop view. Are you sure, sir? <laughs> yes, give him the bus stop view. Um, obviously, people can tell I'm in a good mood. I'm going to. I'm going to celebrate our uh, last minute uh, winning uh, drawing penalty at uh, Manchester City yesterday. Uh, by pointing out that last week's referee wouldn't have given that penalty. That's how curmudgeonly I was last night. <laughs> you, you whilst, even, whilst, <laughs> even whilst celebrating, I was like, Leah, last week's referee wouldn't have given that. And, and also, Mr. Hodgson, if you're listening, you won't be. You'll be reading a Swedish novel, I imagine. Or Russian, actually, uh, a novel in Swedish. I should say a Swedish novel sounds a bit salacious, doesn't it? Uh, that's what happens, Mr. Hodgson, when you put two attacking substitutes on at the end of the game, rather than hanging on grimly for a 2-1 defeat. Congratulations all round. Um, congratulations to some good questions today, Kieran. Also, should we mm. should we crack on, or, or do, you, do you want to go down to reception and see if you can get another upgrade? Mainly, <laughs> no. See if you can get a, get a view of the pyramid. Uh, Only yeah, the wealthiest get a view of the pyramid from the, the Stockport <laughs> Travel Lodge. <clears throat> Our first question, Kieran, and I hope I'm pronouncing this surname correctly, because it's not one I've seen before. Uh, it comes from Stuart, well, I'm going to say Dalvalda, but it's D-A-U-W-A-L-D-E-R, and it's probably five or six variations of that. So I'd be intrigued, Stuart, if you could tweet to let us know what the, um, I hiccuped halfway through that. I'm professional enough to point it out. That's, that's how professionals <laughs> deal with hiccuping halfway through a, a sentence, Kieran. They point it out. Um, yeah, Stuart, let us know how you pronounce that name, because I'm intrigued. But Stuart's question, <clears throat> again, it's a, our fans are obsessed with football kits. Would it not be better financially for almost every club to sell replica shirts at a lower price? Even just 25 to 50% off would surely result in increased sales, enough to cover the loss in revenue per shirt, as more fans would buy the shirts at a fair price, while also giving more exposure to the club itself and the sponsors. I, I suppose this is a similar argument, Kieran, to that which says if you drop ticket prices by £10, you might sell more tickets. It is. Um, and uh, what better thing on a Sunday morning to introduce the concept of the price elasticity of demand uh, into <laughs> the conversation, which I wasn't expecting Merry, to. Merry Christmas, uh, accountant. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, I, I contacted uh, one of our snouts, in the world of uh, kit manufacturing, and, and so, if you think you're sorry, sorry, Kieran, can I just stop you there? 
This time last week, you were contacting the secret kit manufacturer, and now he's a snout. <laughs> right. yes. Okay. <laughs> They're very, very useful people, these. Very useful. Yeah. Um, I think he used to say he was almost as grumpy in his response as you were to the <laughs> uh, referee from the Palace game last week. <laughs> and he started on me and he said, everybody thinks we're making a load of money. All of the manufacturers are losing a fortune in terms of their, their big kit deals. So Really? Okay. We've seen, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That they they say it's it's effectively a marketing exercise because if you think about it, it you know, if you are, if, if you are Adidas, um, your logo is seen for ninety minutes every time Manchester United play, and Manchester United are one of the biggest brands in world sport. So Adidas actually lose money. Um, yeah, they're paying Manchester United ninety million pounds um, a season. Uh, and when, when I did speak to us now, he says Adidas probably get around about 20 quid uh, on each on each shirt sold. So in order to, to break even, they need to sell four and a half million shirts. Yeah, that's that's an awful lot because let's face it. Yeah, we think, well, hold on. You know, Manchester United is, is, is a huge club when nobody's denying that. But. You know, if if we go to um, certain markets, even certain markets in London, you can get snide shirts, yeah, yeah. can't you? Which you know, Adidas aren't getting a slice of those. So, so there's an awful lot of counterfeiting taking place. Um, so, to to, to break even um, at ninety million pounds when they're making twenty pounds a shirt, um, they'd have to sell four and a half million. If they were to reduce their commission by five pounds, they'd have to sell six million. A year, yeah, that's okay. That yeah, there's home shirt, away shirt, you know, third shirt, and so on. And that's why we are now in this position in which the uh, football clubs are bringing out three shirts a year because it wasn't that long ago when sort of you know, the Premier League and, and the manufacturers said, "Oh, well, yeah, every shirt we, we won't, we're going to rotate it every two years." Yeah, and that, yeah. that was very quietly dropped, um, and it's simply because of the, uh, you know, the. the the necessity by the manufacturers to, to make more money. So the clubs don't care. Manchester United get a guaranteed, it was £75 million a year, it's going up to £90 million a year. Um, Liverpool are in a slightly different position because their commission is is a bit higher. But even when you, you put the sums in, um, you, you're having to sell you know, seven figures. You're having to sell you know, a, a million at least more shirts before you'd break even. And that's just taking a fiver off the price. Um, so what what the manufacturers and the clubs have found is that whilst it only costs them you know, 10 to 12 pounds to produce a shirt, by the time they paid the VAT, by the time they paid the retailer, they're not getting all of that as profit themselves. Um, and, and they say, that we've not noticed any resistance. People are still buying them at these higher and higher prices. So it's a bit like Apple with the iPhone. You know, if, if people are willing to pay an extra hundred quid for your phone, then put up the price. Yeah, you know, that that's that's the economics, um, and, and that's why they've also brought out these match ready shirts at one hundred and twenty quid a pop, which never are used in even in five a side. You know, you you've got because people are feeling that they're slightly more authentic and therefore they're slightly closer um, to the club. 
and and these these shirts are only for what we would refer to as sort of the the tier one clubs, the likes of Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, Manchester United, Liverpool, and so on. I find that answer very interesting, King, because um, <clears throat> a week ago, ten days ago, Palace brought out a limited edition special fourth kit um, to celebrate and promote the foundation. So we're we're only going to wear it once against Everton in the FA Cup. It's a very beautiful shirt. They only made a thousand. They sold out within two hours. Um, they were 90 quid, which was a source of, of some debate because that's a lot of money f- for a shirt that's, mm. you know, and, and, and the funds are going towards the foundation, which is great. But that yeah. apparently I wasn't privy to the conversation about the, the actual shirt price, but apparently that was the lowest price that the manufacturer felt they were able to to sell it for, even for for a, a good cause, because you, we're all aware of the irony of charging people a lot of money in an area where there isn't a lot of money to help raise mm. money for a foundation that's helping raise money for them. Um, so, you, so you're telling me that the kit manufacturer would, would make no profit out of that out of that deal then? That, that essentially, with, with all the... Even though that kit, as you say, would probably cost £10 per shirt to manufacture... Even on uh, that, eighty pound is virtually gone. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. be- because, for, as far as the big clubs are concerned, um, you know they they say we're, we're going to auction ourselves off. Right. Uh, if okay. if you don't want us Adidas, well, yeah. Can you imagine, right. you know, how happy New Balance or Nike well, yeah. or Puma or the other big, you know, so so they. And I think in the case of this one-off shirt. What the is, is it? Macron who are making new shirts yeah. these days? I've, I've lost. Yeah. Right. yeah, yeah. They will say it's the setup costs. Yeah, a it's got to be designed. So we need somebody. We need to cover those costs. Then we need to go to our you know offshore manufacturer. They've already got commitments. You need to go and close down the the, the, the plant for even if it's only for a couple few hours, a couple of days, uh, in order to do this. There's opportunity costs there and so on. So, and then you've got the transportation costs back to the UK. Um, and, and on a small a small run like that, if it's going to be a decent shirt, um, then 90 quid, for which the foundation will hopefully get a decent wedge. Yeah, most of it. Yeah, is yeah, going to yeah. have to be the point. Because presumably Palace was saying, yeah, we want the foundation to get 30 quid a shirt. Yeah. Well, if kit manufacturers are listening, they could always manufacture them in the UK. Uh, proper rate and pay people, but then the shirts would be even when? more expensive. Uh, well, uh, yeah, fair point. Um, I, I've, when I when I used to, when I used to do insolvency work in you know I I was doing that work in the mid eighties, and when I wasn't doing the you know the, the nightclub routines, which, which you know, I, I was sort of tended to specialise in, uh, the textiles industry was was very lucrative for us because. You know, it, it was being taken apart. Yeah, you, know, you and I are both old, old enough to remember when when Marks and Spencers used to say, "Yeah, ninety percent of our clothing yeah, is, yeah. is from the UK." Well, you don't see that anymore, do you? No, that's true. Um, it, it's those setup costs, and this again, this is our fault because people wouldn't wouldn't have known about this until we started doing this pod. It, it's because those setup costs are so expensive, and our listeners know that now. That immediately conspiracy theories started about the fact, well, that's going to be our new away kit next season because there's no way that the manufacturer would just set up a limited edition like that. Also, there's no need for, to worry about who designs the kits. Steve Parrish 
designs all our kits, all our kits, <laughs> which <laughs> kit manufacturers have to learn to get put up with the fact that Steve Parrish will be uh, getting involved in every single detail. Also, it's just occurred to me, I don't think I've heard the word snout since I, I last watched the Porridge Christmas special. Are you, are you paying us? Are you paying us now in roll-ups, Kieran? <laughs> um, our next question, Kieran, comes from Gavin Senior, um, and it's about something that we mention uh, a, a lot, and we occasionally sort of revisit a, a, an explanation for it. Um, but people still need to be illustrated further. And Gavin says, "I know players' contracts have been covered from many angles." But what's the difference between a player's contract ending in the conventional way and the player being able to leave under a Bosman ruling? And also, this is an interesting addition to the question. Do clubs hold a registration for retired players? And if so, how long for? Okay, I mean, when a contract expires, the Bosman ruling, ruling if you actually go back to 1995, and it, and it has uh, been yeah. you know, quite seismic as, as football was concerned, the Bosman ruling said that, um, and in the case of um, Bosman, he his contract expired and the club said, we are going to re-employ you on lower terms than you had before. So let's say that you're on a you know, thousand quid a week, we're going to give you, you know, a, a new one-year contract on 700 quid a week or something like that. And he said, well, hold on, you know, I'm I'm losing out here. Um, so that that was the nature of the court case and, and the ruling was that the employer was not entitled to um, renew the contract as in in their favour, um, and he was effectively a free agent. So, when a contract reaches its point of expiry, which is normally the thirtieth of June, um, a Bosman is exactly the same. A Bosman is when a player signs for a new club as opposed to leaving. There are normally um, at the end of each season. Um, around about 700 players who whose contracts expire and a, a fraction of those get new employment the following year either from the club that they've just worked for or from a, from another club so so a, a contract expiry is from the selling club's point of view and then when the player joins another club um, if the player has agreed terms and, th- and this is the case in European football when you reach the 1st of January, you are then entitled to negotiate with another club to join that club on the 1st of July. So that tends to be the case. Yeah, that's what we tend to refer to as a Bosman. On other cases, especially in the lower leagues, you might have a player whose contract expires on the 30th of June, and then it takes them a couple of weeks to find a new employer. And you say, well, yeah, the player was a free agent, but effectively we say he was a free agent because he hadn't agreed a deal before the 30th of June. And what about that question about holding the registration for retired players? Or is 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 there a registration for retired players? Well, no, there is a registration for players. Now, if a player, for whatever reason, decides to take early retirement, um, in order to protect the club's interests, you know, the club might say, "Okay, we will effectively we will agree that we will not pay you." and you will agree that you will not play for us, to stop the player being a bit of a sneak um, and then saying, oh, three weeks later, oh, I found myself a new club and the the, the previous club told, yeah, we could have sold you. The, the chances are that they will hold on to that registration in order to protect their interests. 
Um, or on other occasions, they might decide just to rip up all aspects of the contract. So if the if they feel that the player has value, um, then they will hold on to it in some way, shape, or form. And yeah, the chances are that the player will will therefore not decide to take that early retirement. Mm. Uh, Sean McAllister has our next question. Um, it's an interesting one, as they all are. I've got a question, says Sean, regarding appearance fees and bonuses. As an avid football manager player, I'm all too familiar with the regular bonus in players' contracts that says on top of their weekly wage, they also get a bonus fee every time they make an appearance, which is daft to me, really, as in the words of Roy Keane, that's their job. Um, Words that I don't think Roy Keane would have been using in the 90s while he was a player. Um, (laughs) That's my quote, not Sean's. Now that the Premier League has implemented five subs, says Sean, I'm wondering if we're going to see an increase in overall player costs as more players will be making appearances over the course of a season and more will be eligible for an appearance fee. Is there a minimum minutes played to achieve this? And have clubs been reducing them now there are more subs? Now, also, I'm going to add to that, Kieran, as it only occurred to me yesterday seeing uh, a couple of products of our Youth Academy on the bench. I'm guessing appearance fees are only in the contract of players that you buy. I imagine they wouldn't be in the contract of players that you established through your your own youth systems would they well actually i did contact our secret agent or one of our secret <laughs> agents this morning um and he decided he started off and he was he clearly and this is, this is proof that people listen to the show he says kevin it depends <laughs> yeah. he was very pleased to get that one across so god, god bless him <laughs> especially me yeah he's some poor sod eight o'clock on a sunday morning and he got some nerd <laughs> hello it's me again yeah it depends is that do you <laughs> yes. i don't care what the question is it depends um the, the, the answer was is that, that clubs are aware of this uh, in respect of five subs. Also, the clubs are benefiting because you know, many teams are playing more and more matches. Um, what they are trying to do, and it it does depend upon the response of the, the player and his representatives, what they are trying to do is a couple of things. First of all, um, the appearance bonus, if you come off the bench, um, Many clubs are now saying you only get fifty percent of of a of a of a player who would have started. And secondly, um, they're trying to bring in um, on many occasions a seventy fifth minute rule. So if if you are subbed before seventy five minutes, if you come on before seventy five minutes, you get that fifty percent bonus. If it's after that, tough luck. But in respect of your uh, question in in terms of the the academy players and the young players in particular because they are on a lot of them pretty modest contracts clubs are now introducing in order to try to incentivize these young players themselves they're now also introducing for them a bench bonus so if you are 17 or 18 and you get as far as the bench, which is still a hell of an achievement. Yeah, you know, we, we know just how ruthless the academy system is. Um, you'll, you'll get a bonus for, for appearing on the bench um, of the first team. And um, the uh, the secret agent also was was giving me a very interesting sale. And I think, I think we know who we're talking about or who we might not be talking about here um, in respect of uh, you know, one or two managers, shall we say, or, or 
um, or coaches, however they want to describe themselves, who would auction off uh, substitute players. Uh, substitute places so you know it, it gets to the last 10 minutes this was before the 75th minute rule you know you're two or three up or you're two or three down you've got five minutes left and he and the manager will turn to the player and goes well yeah i, I know you're on 150 quid bonus uh each of you for, for coming off the bench who's going to give me the biggest amount um of that and, and then on they trot and the, and the manager says you know cash only um and also that that same same said manager by all accounts um, he increased the level of fines that players had to play um, at around about the same time as as Christmas um, and his wife's birthday. So, you know, this was <laughs> the, the, the nature of, of, of scamps and scallywags in the world of football. And this is why we love the game. Without, without any scintilla of proof whatsoever, every football fan has got a conspiracy theory about a manager who does exactly that. Although having said that, every football fan has got a conspiracy theory about the same name keeps cropping up for a lot of the fans, so it might <laughs> it might be true. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by Football 360 Pro Series, an online course in football business and finance which features our very own Kieran Maguire. If you want to develop serious knowledge within football business and finance, grow your network in the football industry, or you just need more than your usual two hours of Kieran every week, Football 360 Pro Series might be the solution for you. This eight-week course, starting on January the 17th, will feature a small class size, plus a combination of on-demand lessons and weekly industry expert-led workshops. And indeed, the lineup of industry experts consists of former Premier League chief executives, esteemed football agents, the general secretary of the newly formed Union of European Clubs, financial analysts with experiences at clubs like Aston Villa, Leicester, Fulham, Manchester City, Millwall and Barcelona. And also me. You'll learn everything from club financial statements to accounting for player transactions, navigating spending restrictions and conducting your own financial analysis. And even the word amortisation might appear too. Oh, and what's even better is that there's a special early bird discount for our Price of Football listeners. Use the code POFEARLYBIRD, all in capital letters. That's POFEARLYBIRD, all in capital letters, for a whopping £310 off. For more information, go to football360.online and select Pro Series. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. 
Hi, I'm Steve Lamack, and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight, Stuart Dredge, on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Our next question, Kieran, comes from Alex Brown, um, and we, we've got we've got fifteen minutes in before a Man United question. That's that's good. It's an indication that things are calmer there than they they maybe. We did a lovely live gig in Hastings, Kieran, during the week, and again, it's Man United and Everton are the stories. You, you ask any any questions? It's Man United, it's Everton. Um, Alex Brown has his question. Alex says, it's been widely reported that the Glazer family owns 69% of the shares of Manchester United, and those shares are Class B shares, which hold 10 times the voting rights of the Class A shares on the New York Stock Exchange. So in theory, they reportedly own roughly 96% of the voting power. If the Glazers sold the Class B shares to someone outside the Glazer family, would they still carry the same voting rights or would they be automatically converted into Class A shares? Um, and interestingly, John Texter, one of the co-owners of Crystal Palace, uh, again pointing out on Friday that he owns, as he said, slightly more than 40% of the shares in the football club and has only 25% um, of the say in the running of that club, which you know raises many questions about the takeover of Man United. But... This is an interesting question, Kieran, um, especially for those whose eyes didn't glaze over halfway through it like mine did. Yeah, I think there is perhaps too much focus on the numbers, which for me is you know, about as the worst thing I could possibly say, um, and not enough focus on the rights. So if you go into the Manchester United annual report for 2023 and you go to page 19, which, of course, you know, where else would I spend a Sunday morning in Stockport? Um, it, it does you went, say... You went straight, you went straight under, to page 19, did you, Kim? You, page 1 to 18 is just, con- absolutely. just contents and foreword, is it? You went straight to... OK, I'll bear that in mind next time. I'm <laughs> flicking through a company accounts. Straight to 19. Um. It says that under many circumstances, when the Glazers sell the the B shares, they automatically convert to A shares. So uh, I think Joel and Avram Glazer did sell around about £150 million worth of shares 18 months ago, but the recipients ended up with only getting one share uh, as a result of that. The issue with uh, Jim Ratcliffe, it's not the shares that he's buying, it's the, the the contract which goes along with those shares, which will give him rights. Um, so that, that is where I think the focus should be, but everybody's concentrating on the numbers instead. Um, but also on page nine, 19, it says, um, and I think this is part of the reason why the deal has not yet gone through, because this is where the lawyers are getting their knickers um, in a twist. It says, this concentration of voting power 
in our B shares may harm the value of our Class A ordinary shares. And the Glazers are are fearing a lawsuit because it says, among other things, it may delay, defer, or prevent a change in control of the company. So clearly that's the issue we have at present. It may impede a merger, a consolidation, a takeover, or another business combination involving our company. Again, broadly looking at the the, uh, Jim Ratcliffe. Or it may cause us to enter into transactions or agreements that are not in the best interests of all shareholders, and you go, Jesus Christ, you know, that is, they, they are just quite brazen, yet we will do what is best for the Glazers. If you've invested in Manchester United and a normal shareholder, we couldn't give a stuff about you, and the only reason why this deal hasn't gone through to date is actually some of those other shareholders have said, eh, we're, a, we're a, an investment fund, um, and we also have access to some very expensive lawyers, and if you think you're going to get away with that, think again, Sonny. Uh, it will come as no surprise to you or our listeners, Kieran, that I've, I've always struggled with this idea of um, Class A and Class B shares, that certain shares have much more voting rights than other shares. But what, what I really don't understand is who, who decides on the distribution of Class A and Class B shares in the first place. So was it, did the Glazers buy these pre-existing Class A, Class B shares, or did they buy the club and then say, we've decided that there's going to be this many Class A and this many Class B shares available? And and are the Class B shares also available for other people to buy, or can they only buy the Class A shares? Right. Um, When the Glazers acquired Manchester United and took it off the market, they took it private in 2005, at that point in time, there was only one class of share. When Manchester United, or rather the Glazers subsequently, listed the club on the New York Stock Exchange, they said, right, we are now going to issue shares to potential investors. But by the way, they're only we're going to now have these two class of shares. Um, so the Glazers kept all of the B shares. They, they effectively said the shares that we own now become B shares, and we're going to introduce A shares to the market. We're going to be transparent. We're going to let you know. Um, And at the time, the reason why Manchester United ended up on the New York Stock Exchange was because they were trying to market the club as a tech company. They said, yeah, we're not, we're not, we're not really, uh, you know, something to do with sport. We're entertainment stroke tech. And if you take a look at the listings of Google and Facebook and so on, um, the likes of Mark Zuckerberg had also gone for this this split share routine where the club, the, the company could issue lots of shares, but the person who'd set it up still had an awful lot of concentration of power. And Manchester United sort of rode on the coattails of that because it's, it's not a tech company as, as such. Um, as we all know, even though it's got lots of people that use its app and so on. It's it's a bit like uh, when when Uber try to claim that it's a tech company, it's got nothing to do with cars. Hold on. Um, So so Manchester United very much benefited, or rather the Glazers benefited from, it was the done thing at the time. If they tried to list in Europe, the chances are investors would have said, well, we're not prepared to, to buy into the company under these circumstances. Um, so, so that's where we are in terms of transfers. Um, 
you can only buy the A shares on the New York Stock Exchange. You can only buy the B shares from the Glazer family. Um, and if you buy the B shares, as we've seen previously, they then convert it into A shares. Right, I got you. Uh, I will ask you that again in three months' time, but for the moment, I've got you. Our next question, Kieran, comes from yes, Alan, Hemp- Alan Hemphill. Now, I, I, I don't know, Kieran, because this is a topical question and relating to issues in Germany last week um, that a lot of German fans didn't take kindly to. Um, and we mm. had that fascinating interview that we slipped into our last pod with, with Matt Ford, expert on German football. Um, so I don't know if this is an, an amazing coincidence, Kieran. This just happened to get to the top of the pile in this week or whether the producer guy's doing a bit of shuffling and thinking to himself, Christmas is coming up, like Dustman used to do. He said, I'll do a really good job this week because you know, they'll be handing me a Christmas bonus, surely. Like, you know, in the postman, two weeks before Christmas, you get all your letters at 7 o'clock in the morning. Oh, that's handy. Oh, Christmas is coming. Um, you get all so your letters. Know guys, yeah, that's, that's true, yeah. <laughs> um, and again, this is another issue that it, it, football fans in this country in particular um, are fascinated by German football culture and the 50 plus one rule. So Alan Hempel says, in Germany, I understand that the 50 plus one rule stops the possibility of one individual owning a club. Although, as Alan points out, there are exceptions. Hoffenheim, for example, there are quite a few exceptions, actually, more than most people would probably think. Um, but what, says Alan, is to stop a billionaire just donating the money to a club. So say, for example, a billionaire wants to help Schalke challenge Bayern. What is stopping them buying 49%? And if their intentions are genuine and he's on the same page as a fan, why can't he then just give them extra money to buy players and improve all aspects of the club? There's there's nothing to stop that except from the point of view of the billionaire they would still know that they would be the minority partner in this. And as we've always said, you you don't get to be a billionaire by helping little old ladies across the road. So, you know, there there are many benevolent billionaires. You know, if if you look at the Bill Gates Foundation and and sort of philanthropy in in certain quarters uh, amongst ultra high net worth individuals is is quite spectacular. Um, But... I think they are fully aware of the culture of German football when when they would be contemplating putting that money in and knowing that it would be seen as a gift. Now, could there be sort of a a nudge, nudge, wink, wink? uh, I'll give you a billion euro uh, and I'll only have 49%, but I might give you another 500 million in three years, depending upon how often you agree with my suggestions and you know, could that be used to you know, force decisions over yeah it's business you know, that's how business works um as we have seen you know we interviewed matt on thursday and he was absolutely brilliant and, and clearly he's, he's got a huge amount of insight um but if anybody who um doesn't follow his uh, twitter account which is which is matt uh, underscore 4d um I, I would encourage them to do so he's been reporting at length over the course of this weekend, the reaction of German fans to this uh, deal, which appears to have gone through introducing private equity into German football, and the reaction is is universally negative. We don't trust you. We know that the the ambition of private equity is to make money. You have no interest in football, and and that's all true. Um, so uh, th- there's 
th- there's a level of organization and as he said you know intellectual debate um in german football and and that isn't the same in you know in the premier league it's not the same in the efl you know if a if a private equity comes in and threatens um to or you know, or promises to put money into an individual club it's it's a case of you know fans say yeah yeah, yeah we could, because we we have generated this view that sugar daddies are good um and there's not because you know sugar daddy gets what they want as well um but you know fan, fans are quite happy to turn a blind eye because all they want to do is to win trophies and be successful and any type of debate is is immediately cut down and because you've got the the radicalization of fans and, and the weaponization of fans into believing that everything to do with with their club is good whereas i think german fans yes they still feel fierce rivalry but they can also see the bigger picture to a greater extent than we have over here and that's why it's really important organizations like the football supporters association are in a position to sort of give a voice across a, you know, a, a wider a viewpoint of the game i i i'd had a bottle of wine the other night kieran so I can't narrow down which night it was in that case. But uh, I was watching some football and I accidentally pressed the down button instead of the up button. And up came a report on uh, Sam Pauli versus Hamburg recently. Um, oh, wow. Played a few nights ago. Uh, played in a blizzard with an orange ball. With I mean, just the whole ground. Was, and it's just like I've never been so close to telling Ali that I'm moving to jail. I'll, I'll bring Ali with me, obviously, if she, if she wanted to go. But I just just in that moment... I was like, I'm moving to Germany. That's it. I might regret it later, but I'm moving to Germany. Also, I think um, I love the idea that if you're walking down a road and there's a little old lady trying to cross the road and, and some bloke just ignores you, you go, he must be a billionaire then. Rather than <laughs> and it's, also, it's just a, lo- a lot of our younger listeners simply won't get the concept. I mean, that's how you used to, you know, everything was measured uh, in terms of London buses or the size of Wales. And yes. and kindness was mentioned in there are people's likelihood to help little old ladies across the road or rescue kittens from trees. And we simply haven't got the equivalent anymore. Um, Kieran, Christmas is coming up, Kieran. So um, I, it is, isn't I, it? <laughs> I'm not I'm not going to pretend that Guy and I got together and said, look, Kieran's had a long, hard year. And he, you know, what? Kieran needs a little treat. How about a couple of amortization mm-hmm. questions? For Kieran, we can't buy him a bottle of brandy like you do with anybody else. He doesn't drink. What can we get him just to just to say thank you for all your hard work this year? We've got two amortization questions for you. That's what we got. And the first one is from Marcia Brigg. Marcia is a Chesterfield fan and an old friend of the show. Um, and in the way of old friends, she's not show to pick us up. So, uh, if we say something she doesn't like, an old friend, she will tweet us to let us know. But she's an old friend of the show, and we like Marcy very much. And Marcy says, I've got a question regarding the best practice of amortisation. I've recently heard someone say it's best practice for a club to include the full price of a player in year one accounts rather than a portion of the cost over the length of the contract. So if a player was bought for £2 million on a four-year contract, is it considered best practice to include the full cost on that year's accounts and have nothing to carry over to years two, three, and four, or would it be better to share it over the four years at five hundred k each year? Would the full cost be included, even if they were paid for in instalments? And I'm also assuming that FFP would have a bearing on it too, Kieran. Now, I, I, I would have thought that the whole point of amortisation, Kieran, was that you, you didn't include the full price in year one accounts. 
Is that right? It is. You're 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 absolutely hey. right. Um, hey, see, you, you've yeah. Well, I, I, my my job is done. I, I, <laughs> something, Maguire announces retirement stuff. on Price of Football, <laughs> episode four hundred and forty-seven. <laughs> what 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 amortization does? It says that if you have an asset which gives the club benefits over a period of time, then you spread the cost of those benefits. So um, in you you cannot write off the contract in year one. And, and if you think about it, if you were Chelsea, you'd be absolutely knackered if, if you took such an approach here. So from a financial fair play point of view, it means that the cost of the transfer is spread over the life of the contract. And that's why Chelsea... Have taken this approach, and as we said, I think on a recent show, that yeah, that's given them a, a one hundred and twenty-six million pound advantage um, compared to signing players on five-year contracts, and that's what, that's why they were so keen to vote for the uh, the rules to be restricted because they they've got that benefit, and nobody else will be able to copy them. In terms of the payment by instalments, the cash flow is completely independent of amortization. So whether you pay in one instalment, two or three, whatever it is, that has no impact on it. Um, but the the immediate write-off is isn't possible because the asset that you are buying is the player's registration for three years, four years, five years, whatever it's going to be, and, and the rules, the accounting rules, are quite unequivocal there. What you can do, however, if you want to manipulate the numbers, and I'm not saying that some clubs have done this, of course, because that would be a cynical viewpoint, and we 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 pride ourselves on not being a cynical show, is that is that if you've got a bit of FFP wiggle room, what you're allowed to do instead is to say, yeah, that player's a bit bobbins. Um, we're going to write down his value. And we will say, well, yeah, the, the, the players, we signed the player for £50 million. He's been there a year. He's on a five-year deal. So at the end of year one, you say, well, you know, one-fifth of 50 is 10. So the player's got a value of £40 million. We think he's a bit rubbish. He's, he's not delivered. So we, because we've got FFP wiggle room, we're going to go and knock off another £20 million in this year. Now, some clubs might be tempted to do that. Clearly, that's completely wrong. Um, but it, it, it can be done because the auditors will sign off because the auditors know nothing about football. So th- there is there is scope for manipulation, even if you are using straight line uh, amortization. And remember, following the Derby County ruling uh, by the EFL, it's now in the EFL constitution that you've got to use uh, amortization over the life of, of the contract. Um, so there are no alternatives allowed. <laughs> Bearing in mind what you've just said, Kieran, about um, shenanigans, I, I, I'm worried that you might think this question from Reese Clough uh, is cynical, Kieran, and, and I, I don't think it's meant to be. I don't think any of our listeners are cynical, let alone us two. Uh, Reese Clough, great name, says, with amortisation, what are the biggest benefits to the selling club when a transfer fee is amortised? Does it come back to helping themselves as well as the buying club with some creative accounting? Now, it's, I think that's a really interesting question, Kieran, because we, we tend to focus on the benefits for the buying club, but are there benefits for the, the selling club? Well, there are in the sense that it allows you to show a profit when you've made a loss. 
Um, yeah, and I think we'd like that in in other aspects of our life as well. Um, so the the reason for this is if you buy a player for fifty million pounds and you sell him for thirty five, you'd say, well, we've made a loss of fifteen million pounds on the deal. Um, but because of amortization, you don't compare the buying price to the selling price. You compare the buying price less the amortization to the selling price. So so let's say if, if we take that scenario, you bought the player for £50 million on a five-year deal, so you've charged £10 million amortization a year. So at the end of two years, you go, well, it's 50, less 110, less another 10. The player has got an amortized value of 30 million. We've sold him for 35. Oh, we've made a profit of 35. So we've made a profit of 5 million. We sold him for 35. He's in the books at 30 because of this, the, the amortization nonsense. Aren't we clever? And people go, well, hold on. You bought him for 50, you sold him for 35. He's lost. Um, so so that is the benefit to the selling club. And, and this is why... Um, clubs are so keen to sell academy players because there is no amortized figure for the player's cost and, it, and it's pure profit. We've seen uh, you know, stories in the press, which you, know, you, you always take with a, uh, a pinch of salt, that, that Chelsea might be very keen to sell Conor Gallagher in the January window because they've budgeted to finish, you know, I think, top five, top six this season. And they, if they don't make it, they could be on a bit of a sticky wicket from an FFP point, point of view. That's why you, you, you sell the players, which will give you the most profit. Mm. Our final question, Kieran, comes from... Uh, so I was distracted then, Kieran, by Smudge doing a particular... I can see that. <laughs> you saw me being distracted, but she was, um, she's still sulking because uh, Ed and I were uh, we were discussing Doctor Who uh, as parent and son did last when, when Smudge got very agitated because she'd seen a, another cat in our garden and we wouldn't, oh. we wouldn't let her out partly because she would lose any fight against any cat, no matter how small, um, uh, and partly because she had her heart monitor the other day and she's got a big shaved patch, so the vet said keep her in for a couple of days. But she she didn't, she didn't. was talking a very good fight and she was she was, she was was telling us she, uh, what, what she was going to do to this cat that was in her patch. Um, and now she's still <laughs> grumpy that we didn't allow her to go out and cause... She would, it's, it's for her own benefit, but she's... Uh, oh, she's gone back to sleep. Sorry, it's, it's terrible when middle-aged men get distracted by. <laughs> um, uh, last question, Kieran, comes from Robert Hutchinson. Uh, Robert says, "My beloved Grimsby Town's ambition is to achieve B Corp status. Like a good little fish, I will follow our owners wherever they will go. But in truth, I don't have a Scooby Doo. What that means, and does it have a specific impact on football? I think it's a good thing, but what do I know? Please help me learn." Um, which is Probably my catchphrase on this pod. What do I know, Kieran? What, <laughs> please help me learn. Um, and such is the waiting list for questions, Kieran. I, I have a suspicion that Grimsby Town have achieved B Corp status already, haven't they? I think I think they have. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Congratulations. Um, I spoke to our secret Harry the Haddock um, in relation <laughs> to this. And hang on, um, hang on a second now, Kieran. Is, is are we talking about our secret Harry the Haddock or our secret Grimsby chairman here? <laughs> might, be, might be might be linked to who, who could possibly say um b core status is an acknowledgement that there is more to life than making money yeah 
a, a, if you if you take a look at, at the the constitution of a company, it effectively says our ambition is to maximise profits. Um, but th- there are now uh, a, a new uh, a new breed, you know, and, you know, a, 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 an alternative view to that, um, and a, a company or an institution trying to achieve B Corp status is is trying to align itself with with a commitment to say, well, you know, we've got social and environmental responsibility, or as Joey Barton would say, they've gone woke <laughs> um, in in the sense. Um, and it's saying that the the club is sort of balancing uh, a need to you know, break even or to make a certain level of profitability, um, but at the same time to say, and this is something which you know, which, which we've we've said from day one of the show, you know, um, is that you you have a broader remit than that, and you can have a positive impact on society. And you know, you you and I, we we both said you know, when. When yeah, when you when you're down, and you go the the prospect of that Saturday, and it's not the football, it's it's the pre-football. Yeah, it's yeah. the fact that you're getting out of the house, that you're seeing some of those faces, and that can be uplifting for us. Um, it if you get a win, you know that will put a you know spring in your step and so on. So it can enhance in, in doing so, it will enhance the club's reputation. It will attract potential investors who've got a social conscience and it will help in fostering community engagement and sustainable practices. So all of these things are sort of soft power issues or soft influence um, rather than the private equity of football, the private equity view of football is it's another industry. There's an awful lot of spare cash going around at present. Let's go and invest in, let's go and invest in football, cut back the costs, um, you know, stop all stop all of this you know soft nonsense in community schemes and so on, and just just focus on making money. Um, so you know that is the objective of uh, the secret Grimsby chairman and uh, his colleagues, um, and uh, fair play for them for doing so. And uh, the the B core status is is awarded by an independent body, um, and uh, you know I've I've got a lot of admiration for that because. Let's face it, you know, I'm a teacher. There is that's a vocation. The job that you do, you know, you're making people laugh. That's 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 a godsend to many people. Um, and the reason why we did the gig in Hastings Library on Thursday evening is because we we believe in these things. So yeah, if that makes me part of the tofu eating board bokarati, well, fill your boots. But I think it's I think I think it's nice to be nice. Well, it's 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 amazing. And sadly, most of the people who, who use expressions like that are, are our age. Jerry Barton isn't, but it's amazing how many people mistake decency and politeness for woke, because that's what it is, Kieran. It's decency and politeness. You know, not shutting down libraries is a decent, polite thing to do. You know, people like you and I shouldn't have to be going to libraries to encourage people to 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 go to libraries and to raise money to save their own resource. So. Yeah, it's just, it's like you say. It's just it's nice to be nice where possible, and people like Grimsby should be congratulated for trying to do so. Um, I think Kieran would be remiss if we didn't uh, end the pod by uh, doing what everybody else in football is doing and sending our best wishes to 
Tom Lockyer and his family for um, uh, a speedy recovery. Um, and the way football works, I suspect there will be a link forever now between Bournemouth and Luton fans after uh, yesterday's response to those events. Um, we we hope he's well and out of hospital soon and we send our best wishes to everyone at Luton and to his family and friends. Thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod as well, that'd be very kind of you. It will get you access to our chat community and our Christmas quiz, which is coming up Tuesday. That's tomorrow night. Uh, you only get that if you're a Patreon. So if you you don't share it with members of the public anymore, we'll learn that lesson. Uh, and that only costs you a quid to it's join. After the, <laughs> the afternoon. After the stripping yeah. person yes. arrived. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so you can do that by going, and I, I, I'm going to, I'm going to, do this in true BBC announcer voice. This year's Christmas quiz is the best ever. It's a cracker, isn't it? Well, it will be when we've wrote it. We're, we're planning <laughs> yes. to we're planning to write it. We're planning to write one of the best ever. Uh, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash price of football. One of our ultras, Jack Hall, has asked us this week to share details of a GoFundMe page set up by two of his friends, Katie and Graham. They're raising money to give their three-year-old son Ralph the life-saving transplant he needs to cure him of cancer. The operation in hospital care for Ralph to have this transplant in the US is quoted to be well in excess of £1 million. They've raised more than £100,000 so far, which is fantastic, but they need more help if they're going to get to that target. So if you search for Ralph's campaign, GoFundMe in Google, you'll find the page and we'll also post the link in the show description. Every little helps everybody. Um, if you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. If you'd like to buy our book or one of our other books, get yourself a Price of Football t-shirt. You can find details on our website, priceoffootball.com. We shall be back. I'm trying to think of our Christmas game. Yeah, we will be back. Christmas hasn't started yet, so it's a normal week. We'll be back on Thursday with our news pod. Uh, in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Well, thank you, uh, everybody, for engaging. Thanks for everybody that came along to the Hastings show. Yeah, um, it was uh, it, it was it was all it's always they're always good fun. The shows, um, and yes, we were slightly uh, slightly curtailed in terms of, of time, uh, but yeah, and very very nice bar afterwards. And, and then the Baroness and I went for a a a curry in Hastings, on, and that was ace as well. So even better. <laughs> um, uh, there's there's. V- variety of ways in which you can support the show one of which is to give us a review using your uh, podcast app it makes a difference according to producer guy keeps us uh, keeps the profile of the show a wee bit higher uh, and so on um, although I, I i did i was announced um as as the price is football huh. by nick robinson on radio for today's show um so perhaps that's the, the name isn't as good as as i thought it was as well as it was going to be um but it doesn't matter what you say in the review. You can even say you would rather have the show presented by Reg Varney and Blakey from On The Buses as I'm looking across <laughs> Stockport Bus Exchange, and it wouldn't make a blind bit of difference to us. Uh, Reg Varney, of course. This is one for you, Quiz fans. Reg Varney the, was the first man ever to use a cash point in this country. Wow! Yeah, back that's, in a, when, that's a brilliant fact. Yeah, when they were uh, when they were rolling out the technology, and imagine that—a time when you had to actually go to a bank, write a check, and get money rather than stick it in a wall. Uh, Reg Varney was the <laughs> first one to use one. Um, talking of raising our profile, Kieran, and, and uh, we've we've got interviews coming up 
either side of Christmas with Pat Nevin and Brian McClare. How's that for raising your profile? And I think, in fairness to the good people of Hastings who are listening to this, we were slightly curtailed in terms of time queuing because we overran by about an hour. That's why we had. <laughs> that's yes. why we had two agitated <laughs> librarians tapping their watches at the back, which, as I pointed out afterwards, was the worst way of trying to get me to stop talking. Because all I'm going to do then is another five minutes about two librarians tapping their watch at me, basically. But we had a lovely time in Hastings. Support your local library, and we'll see you soon. Bye, everybody. Bye. I'm for the ball.